0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. What's your guys' plan with quarterback?
1: Obviously, Luke Levin has kind of put your room in a hole. Are you looking at taking a transfer, a grad transfer? I mean, what, what's the the logical move that you could look at doing here to, to
2: kind of keep things in line going forward? Yeah, I think uh, I just got done saying, I think it's smart in this day and age just with the way things are, 1,600 kids in the transfer portal. I think you got to expect uh, some guys to leave, we kind of did. There's always gonna be surprises too. And I think you have to stay light on your toes and be ready to uh, adapt and solve problems when you need to. It was 1600 kids in the portal and basically over, barely over 100 Division I schools. Uh, there's a lot of kids out there looking for spots. Probably not enough spots for all the kids. We're intentionally keeping a couple spots in our pocket. And we thought about maybe doing something before this semester started and, and trying to address the issue, but uh, I didn't want to make any quick moves that that might be mistakes. And I imagine there'll be more kids in the portal after junior college season and one double A season, and even uh, probably more movement after spring ball. Also, really want to really want to see what we have in the room. Uh, really been impressed with Logan since he's been here. Really been impressed with Heinrich in the short time that he's been here. Uh, we'll, quarterback's no different than anywhere else we'll take a look at what we have and uh, we got a couple spots in our pocket to see if uh, if we need to get some help anywhere
1: and welcome here to this post signing day edition if you want to call it that um of the husker online show we're a day later taping in normal because we wanted to make sure we heard from coach frost uh coach frost normally would talk on wednesday signing day held off until thursday afternoon um so we wanted to make sure we got everything coach frost had to say hit on a number of things you heard there that was my question out of the gates to him about quarterback and will they be pursuing a transfer what's their plan and I think it's a smart approach right now, guys, uh, as we bring in Nate Klaus and Robin Washett. um, It's a wait-and-see approach right now. They don't need to get a guy here tomorrow. They've got until really May uh, to get that figured out. So you get the sense they're going to go through spring ball and they're going to really evaluate things as they have two spots left remaining. Um, I do think there's some viable options out there. Terry Wilson is one. I know that there's been some contact made on both sides, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, that Terry Wilson, who started at Kentucky the last three years, would be coming here. I, I think they want to see what things look like before they would make a decision like that.
3: Yeah, I think maybe most importantly, you got to see what you have with Logan Smothers. I mean, I think if Adrian's the known commodity, you know what, what that's going to be. But after that, it's a total blank slate right now because the majority of all the first team reps were Adrian and Luke. And, you know, Logan was the odd man out. And so now you're going to give him a full spring, you know, full uh, you know winter of workouts to, to show what he's all about and where he is in his development. And where you think he is coming out of spring ball might influence, you know, where you go with the quarterback transfer market and and how pressing of a need it is to get someone to either challenge Adrian for the starting job or, uh, become, you know, a little bit more, uh, provide a little bit more stability as that number two for, for next season.
4: Yeah. I, I think you don't want, you don't want to take a guy just for the sake of taking a guy. Uh, so it makes all the sense in the world to see exactly what you have, uh, see how you're feeling about Adrian, see how you're feeling about Logan Smothers being the backup. Um, you know, and that will likely determine what type of player you, you end up going for it. if it is in fact a, a quarterback for one of the last two spots do you need to get somebody who can come in and, and push Adrian for that spot or do you need to simply get somebody who's got some experience under their belt that you know just in case Adrian goes down uh, that you know that they've got they've been through a few live battles before um, and, you know you feel maybe you'd feel a little bit more comfortable putting them in the game than uh, you know somebody who's never taken a, a live college football snap before.
1: We're talking post-signing day thoughts here from Coach Frost, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus a- a- as we delve into topics uh, that Coach Frost addressed here. And, you know, the spring ball won't be until the end of March, so there's just so much time. They have two spots remaining as well, and I think those needs could change quite a bit over time. And you heard Coach Frost say that now there's 1,600 names in the transfer portal. Then you've got FCS spring football. Then you've got JUCO spring football plus transfer portal action that happens after spring football. So it's probably maybe the smart play because I think this late in the game, you know, it's bottom of the barrel. There's not exactly a lot of good guys left standing around this late in the action um, that you want to jump on. So I I, I think you want to wait a little bit and and weigh your options because a lot of – fresh names could come available here in the coming months.
3: Yeah, and they're in a luxury to where, I mean, I guess you could make a case that there's some spots that, that still need a little bit more attention, but there's really not a glaring need, in my opinion. And, you know, the, the glaring needs that were there were already addressed with, you know, Smart Toure, Marquis Stepp, uh, and with all the guys on defense coming back. And even Kolarvik at middle linebacker. Yeah, and, Klar- and so, I mean, I think that they've already kind of addressed the most pressing issues they had on next year's depth chart uh, to where, You don't have to force the issue and take a guy just to fill a spot. You can be selective, and that is a great spot to be in, especially right now. Like you said, Sean, it's kind of that in-between period where, you know, you're at the kind of back end of the the picked-over transfer portal. But there's going to be a whole new batch of talent that's going to join that mix over the next couple months as, um, you know, not only the the junior college markets, but as spring balls wrap up and guys kind of see their place at their respective schools, maybe they're going to look for a change of pace. And so uh, having an extra spot or two in your back pocket is such a luxury. And, you know, going back to basketball, this has kind of been the way that schools have gone about it for a long time. Tim Miles always kept an open scholarship because he knew that with the transfer market, if the right guy comes up, having that open spot available to just go after him right then and there uh, and not have to worry about making room is a huge luxury to have. And I think that's the route uh, Frost is going to take. And I think it's a good one.
4: Yeah. I think the only reason you'd want to act right now is if there was a big name guy or, or somebody who, has played a lot of football and has done very very well that's not going to last very long out there you know if, if a name enter the portal that you know there's going to be a lot of other teams that are going to be um, jumping at him to, to try and get them to go to their school uh, otherwise yeah I think you you kind of hold the leverage if you've got a couple spots it works to your advantage to to see what comes up during the junior college season to see what new names enter the portal after spring football because I mean if there's 1600 now I mean it's going to be well over 2000 by the time May rolls around
1: what I think they've learned their lessons, Nate and Robin, over the years with the portal. I mean, they they've had some bad takes. Yeah. Ken of I Noah, uh, the Utah guy that came out of—I don't even remember his name—the Utah guy that yeah. came out of medical retirement I to play.
4: Vanuku. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you just can go back and like, well, what are you doing? Like, why? Why? I mean, you think about it was it was a risk. They took a gamble, but it just there there were some bad takes on the portal, and you've got to be careful because they're in there for a reason, and you got to research those reasons. Why Noah just left California and what the reasons were and and why Vanuku was injured and why they told him he could never play football again. And then he got here and never played a
3: snap. Yeah. And the culture part of it too, because you get guys that, you know, they're already kind of disgruntled a little bit because things haven't gone the way they wanted. And if they have a tough season where they're not instant impact guys, they can be problems, you know, getting in other players' ears and kind of creating some disconnect with, you know, either uh, factions of the team or within the coaching staff. And, you know, they can be a lot more problems than they are benefit. And that's why the right guy needs to be said time and time again it's not just about is he a good player is he going to make your entire team on the field and off better by bringing him in
4: yeah it it, more times than not it'll be an old guy but this might be the one year where it could possibly be a younger guy Uh, not just you know regardless of what position only because you know the chances of everybody getting a blanket waiver this year are very, very good. I, I would assume that everyone who is in the transfer portal is going to qualify for a waiver. Um, NCAA
1: won't have the manpower yeah, to, to look just, at them all. Yeah, to to sixteen hundred waivers to go
4: case by case for sixteen hundred plus people is just unrealistic. So everybody is more than likely going to get a waiver. So there could be some younger guys, but there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, you, you've got to be very careful and. Um, you know, regardless of if, if it's a transfer now or if it's a high school kid or junior college kid, I mean, Nebraska has been been bit that way more than anybody uh, where guys get here and just is not a fit or or it's not working out or whatever. So um, you, you really can't afford to do that anymore.
1: When, well, like think about like Oklahoma and Tennessee, just some of the transfer stuff that's happened in those programs. I mean, Bookie Radley Hiles, and they want him to come back. Like he was a three-year starter and put his name in the portal. I mean, some of the moves just don't make any yeah. sense. Um, some of the good running backs, that, and Rambo and Pledger left Oklahoma, and I mean, wh- where did Pledger end up going?
4: Um, I th- I'm not boy. I'm not. I'm not quite. I know sure. Rambo is going to Miami. My, yeah,
1: Rambo went to Miami.
4: I'm not sure where Pledger ended up going off the top of my head. But yeah, then
1: but then on the flip side, Oklahoma signed like three Tennessee portal guys. Mm-hmm. Utah. Utah for okay for pleasure for pleasure huh?
4: getting back towards yes. out West
1: but yeah, yeah. It, it just there's just so many anomalies with this portal and I mean you see three of Tennessee's best guys all go to Oklahoma and by the way Nebraska plays Oklahoma <laughs> next year so <laughs> it, it, it will be interesting to see how Nebraska plays this all right we're gonna continue this discussion and we're gonna on a few more things next you're listening here to the Husker online show
0: you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska
2: athletics you know that's all stuff that we have to have determined for us i miss traveling overseas my wife and i love to travel overseas and just haven't been able to uh, with covid so i've never been to ireland been to a lot of other countries in europe was looking forward to it hope our program gets to do it at some point either this year or down the road if it doesn't happen this year And I think the rest of the schedule uh, has a chance to be altered or changed based on that. So uh, a lot of things still up in the air right now.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. It is your premier sports bar in South Lincoln. All fully remodeled, new TVs, new furniture, new flooring, new everything. Get on into Tanner's here on Sunday. They will have the big game on. Um, as well as nebraska basketball over the weekend so plenty of sports action get on into tanners on 30th and yankee hill road and guys you heard coach frost i mean somebody officially just needs to come out and say the game in ireland is not happening Mm -hmm. Uh, steve rosen our sports business reporter um, of husker online reported this week um, you know that that it's basically done like it's all but done at this point in fact John Anthony, the owner of Anthony Travel, called Steve Rosen back and gave him more clarity after he read our story and just wanted to assure people that if, wink, 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 this game is canceled, full 100% refunds will be given to everybody. Um, And the same thing happened last year with Navy Notre Dame. Full refunds were given there. But that game, they need to make that announcement, and I'm sure there's some other Big Ten things involved with other schedule pieces that need to be decided um, but at least pull the plug on Ireland because I think there's a lot of people that would kind of like to know they have you know, can't like we, Robin and I, I'll, I'll say, Robin and I, we cancel our trip at this point. I had some rooms and flights on, on vouchers I was using to book and I, I cancel all my stuff this week because I, I, I just, I know it's not happening and, and they, they need to hopefully make that announcement.
3: Yeah, and I'm sure it's just logistics at this point, you know, trying to clean up any loose ends with, uh, you know, packages that were sold and all that stuff and uh, maybe trying to get a future game uh, you know maybe in 23 yeah something like that booked locked in so they can do a dual announcement or something like that uh, and then also the fact that it is a conference game you know maybe they have to shuffle some things around I don't know why they would but maybe that's part of it but uh, it's disappointing in a lot of ways I know myself and pretty much anybody uh, was really looking forward to that game. I mean, that would have been such an awesome trip, like in so many different ways. And the fact that, you know, you get a chance to start conference play one and uh in a very winnable game and essentially a home game. Cause you know, Illinois and fans, another, an extra bye week. yeah, Illinois fans were going to travel for that. So that, stadium would have been packed with nebraska fans and they probably would have won that game and then all of a sudden uh it kind of starts 21 out with a bang which uh as we've seen momentum can be a huge thing and when you're on the right side of it it can it can uh catapult your entire season
4: yeah it is it's unfortunate that it's probably not going to happen but at least they came out and said that you know everyone's going to be getting refunds because i'm sure i'm sure there's a lot of people that were feeling kind of sick over this deal not knowing exactly what's going on in the first place. And then knowing or not knowing, you know, if it was canceled, you know, how much are we getting back on the money that we already put down? So um sounds like at least they're, they're doing the right thing. And I'm sure you're right, Robin. It's, it's probably some sort of back end, you know, they're trying to maybe <laughs> have something good to announce along yeah, with exactly. the, the bad uh, to, to make it a little bit more interesting.
1: And it will be interesting on week zero. Can they continue to play week zero Um, If the game is not in Ireland, would the game have to be played in, let's just say, Chicago or somewhere neutral that Illinois chooses in order to keep it at week zero? Or would they just move it to Labor Day weekend and make that the week one game as a traditional season opener? So there's a lot of things that would have to be unpacked. And I do think the Big Ten is going to have to address a few other things. Well, Nebraska traveled to Purdue for a third year in a row. Will Wisconsin sk- travel to Lincoln for a third year in a row? Because mm-hmm. it, it didn't happen this year, We know as we know, for COVID, but they'll come back again to Lincoln. And then will the Iowa Black Friday game – or th- w- will the Minnesota game be taken off Black Friday so Iowa can go back to Black Friday for the uh, one Sean Eichhorst um, mm-hmm. year of this schedule? So I think there's a lot of other things the Big Ten has to look at for scheduling in general.
3: Yeah, I think the schedule that you're looking at for Nebraska next season is going to be a shell of what it ends up being uh, with all the movement, starting with the Illinois game. I do know that Frost has said on record several times he likes the idea a lot of playing week zero. For one, every it, coach it does. shortens fall camp and you get that extra week basically to, uh, you know, kind of have some tangible game film that you can build upon going into the meteor season. So, I mean, there's a lot of advantages that if they can continue to do it, I'm sure they're going to be all for it. It's just a matter of finding the best way to do it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with all those other issues, this, this – scheduling and rescheduling and then rescheduling after that that happened in 2020 uh that screwed up everything and you're going to have to make some adjustments because i mean it's just not fair to to go to purdue three years in a row and you know for wisconsin and you know that if you have a chance to eliminate that dumb black friday thing and put iowa and nebraska back on black friday i think you do it so i think you're going to see a lot of reshuffling uh, when all said and done with this 21 schedule
4: well and you'd hope that it would happen sooner rather than later too uh you don't want to i don't know you don't want to be finding out about the a reschedule in you know after may i would i would think i mean um, i think ideally you'd find out this spring that way you could get your travel arrangements and you know hotel accommodations and all that stuff uh, locked in and not really have to worry about it over the over the summer
1: i'm gonna be like negative big 10 guy here but think of the big 10s like we're gonna move illinois nebraska now back to like november in Nebraska, your bye week against Southeast Louisiana, you'll play on that bye week. So then you'll you just won't play game week one now.
3: And, I, I yeah. could absolutely see that happen. Yeah. So your 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 bye week <laughs> not surprised your
1: bye week's is going to be week one. Yeah. yeah, that's your bye week. Oh yeah, we're going to move Illinois Nebraska to like later in the year where it maybe should have been. And I, I sure hope that doesn't happen for the sake of like just everybody freaking out. But just think if they did something like that, well, I mean, I, and for the sake
3: of it being
4: fair I mean yes your, your bye week
1: will
3: be week one yeah like come on <laughs> well we've uh, seen <laughs> like I said there's precedent for things like that to happen but if nothing else during this past year at least we learned that like scheduling games like 20 years in advance you don't really need to do that anymore you can schedule a game a week in advance if you need to yeah. so I think that if changes need to be made I don't know if there's a, a steadfast deadline that you have to uh, abide by based on what we learned this past year you know, yeah, yeah, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed that yeah.
4: there's nothing <laughs> cr- extremely crazy that happens that would only create more conspiracy theories against Nebraska. Well,
1: and the SEC is going to go back to 8 games. They played 10 last year, but they'll go back to 8. Um they want that non-conference flexibility to have some, you know, tune-up games in there and you know that that's what really hurts the overall Big 10 and Pac-12 records is playing 10 Power 5 games and uh I thought maybe this year would force the SEC to go to at least nine just to have that inventory and the money it's worth. But right now they don't have to um, because their TV ratings are still strong enough that evidently they make as much money still playing the schedule they have. But I think over time you would hope leagues like the SEC would go back to nine games like the Big Ten has been doing the last few years.
3: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they have no reason to do it. They're not getting punished for it. I mean, (laughs) they basically get rewarded for playing Well, Alabama, yeah, Georgia gets kind of like the Georgia bump every week, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, and so, I mean, they have no incentive to do that. The Big Ten tried to do it to kind of bolster their strength of schedule, and really, I mean, they thought everybody was going to follow suit, and they didn't, and now they're at a kind of a competitive disadvantage compared to the SEC.
4: Yeah, I don't know why the SEC would, especially if, if they're not losing money by it I mean that's that's the ultimate decision you know the uh decision maker for for a lot of things in, in sports I think is is the the almighty dollar and mm-hmm. if they're not losing money why would they why would they add another game well, I,
1: if they go to eight teams in the playoff which is possible down the road that that's what will drive it then I think you will see maybe League say, so, you know what, we can play nine games because we know we'll get two in from our league. Mm-hmm. Um, but now their current schedule allows them to get two in potentially uh, because there's one less chance of having that loss.
3: Yeah. I mean, it would basically have to come down to something like that where the rules are changed for the postseason to where uh, you you would actually be at a disadvantage yeah. by playing an extra conference game. Because until that happens, the SEC is not changing anything. All yeah. right.
1: More signing day, spring football, early thoughts. All that's next. You're listening here to your last current line show.
0: is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: Uh, man, this one's tough for me because I, you know, I I root for the Chiefs because they're a Midwest team and uh, they're just fun to watch and I love their creativity on offense. It's hard to it's hard to not root for the Buccaneers right now with all the Nebraska ties that you have there. You know, Sue has meant so much to this program uh, and had such an unbelievable career that I'm really pulling for him to to maybe be able to put a ring on uh, Levante David, same way and. He's one of the best in the business and has been, and he deserves more accolades than he gets. And having Khalil down there too, is somebody that I coached. I actually been on the phone with Jason Light, uh, who's a Nebraska guy, and congratulated him on getting where he is. And we even have a strength coach, Chad Wade, that worked here for a long time, that worked for the Bucs. So I gotta be pulling for them because of Nebraska ties, but looking forward to watching, and good luck to those Nebraska guys for the Bucs. And
1: welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Scott Frost giving his take on uh, the Super Bowl Sunday as Kansas City and Tampa will play um, in the Super Bowl. And, and there's so m- so much interest, guys, in this game locally because the Chiefs are, are the number one team in the market in terms of fans. I mean, that's the team that we get every week um, in Omaha and Lincoln um, statewide, unless you live way out. Nate, you probably got Broncos games, though, growing up, didn't you?
4: Yeah, growing up in Ogallala, it was all – Denver stations like our, we had, um, you know, we had the North Platte news and then everything else was, was all Denver stations. So we got,
1: so you were more Broncos, Broncos but
4: growing up. Yeah.
1: More Broncos, but Tampa Bay, so many Nebraska ties there from the strength coach, the GM, the Levante David and Domican Sue, and then Shaquille Barrett from Boys town Husker recruiting fans are familiar with Jason Pierre Paul. Cause he was practically a silent commit at one point to Nebraska Um, So, yeah, I'm a Chiefs guy myself, um, but it's hard not to want to root for guys like Sue and David because playing well on this stage could – put those guys in Hall
3: of Fame-type conversations over, this, over time. I think both those guys have gotten hardly their due. I mean, Sue was kind of at the the pinnacle uh, of the game for a while, but he kind of fell off a little bit, even though he's now playing in his second Super Bowl in three years. I mean, he's still playing at an elite level. He's and played 10,000 snaps since, like, 2010. You, you talked to – I mean, you just listen to interviews with, like, other coordinators or whatever, and they say one of the most underrated players in football – is Namakian Sue uh, because of how much he eats up uh, the middle of the line of scrimmage, and basically he's kind of taken on this. You know, like he's not worried about his own stats; like he's just there to basically destroy the line of scrimmage, and that's freed up Levante David, which is why Levante's having one of the best years of his career uh, because you know he's got you know Sue playing in front of him and eating up all his blocks, and they've really got a nice front seven there. That you know, I, I know your Chiefs are probably going to be you know the tough to beat, but if there's one matchup. So the Kansas City's offensive line, they're out Fisher, Eric Fisher, is starting left tackle. They're going to move their other tackle over to the other side, and that's going to go against that pass rush. Shaquille Barrett. And if Tampa Bay's pass rush or defensive line can get a steady rush and they're able to drop back and actually cover the middle of the field while also playing deep over top, they <laughs> might have a shot. That's a lot to, to get right there, though, <laughs> yeah. against Mahomes. Well,
4: I don't know how you can, at this point in the game, how can you really count Tom Brady out? I mean, like him or not, I mean, he's he's done an awful lot. But yeah. but you're right. I, I mean, what Sue's been able to do during his career is, is pretty phenomenal. I mean, there's there's not – for for somebody who is playing his position, um, you know, where injuries are common, you know, the I'd like to know what the – what the average career length is of a of a defensive tackle but i mean for him to have been able to play this long and to stay as healthy as he has um, and play at a high level for as long as he has is pretty remarkable. Um, and you have to agree with Scott Frost there too. I mean, Levante David—I don't know if there's a more disrespected or under undervalued player in in all of the NFL, mm-hmm. as certainly on the defensive side of the football, than Levante David. Um, you know, with what he's been able to do and the type of numbers he's been able to put up over his career.
1: My favorite Levante David sequence at Nebraska and. You know, I don't know if people remember this one as well as I do, but I was right down on the sidelines with Robin at Penn State. It was the game when Joe Paterno had just been unseated, and Penn State was ranked around the top ten. They were a good team. Nebraska was ranked around the top ten. I mean, it, was, it was like a game of the week type of deal. And Penn State was driving to win the game, and they had like a, third, a second and one. Levante David gets in there, stops the run. Third and one. Levante David gets in there, stops the run. Fourth and one. Levante David got in there, stopped the run. And that won a game for Nebraska. That that sequence, one individual player where they knew they were going to run it and they put all the fullbacks and tight ends in, and he still got in there three plays in a row. And you just haven't seen that kind of effort. I mean, even when they lost to Michigan in the big house that year in 2010, or excuse me, 11, Denard Robinson was running. A couple of times he just got his hand Mm -hmm. on Denard Robinson's foot. And if correct me if i'm wrong nate i want to say that deerfield beach team that Donardo robinson played for gave miami northwestern i think their closest game back yeah. in the day in high school um, and that that miami northwestern team was loaded loaded
4: absolutely loaded and and what he did against braxton miller when ohio state came in forced to, that fumble yeah forced that fumble he did he, he stripped he stole he stole that ball Um, That's a hell of a play. I mean, yeah. I mean, he he made some unreal plays. And to think that it took Sean Fisher breaking (laughs) his leg to (laughs) to get Levante David on the field that season is is pretty remarkable,
3: too. Well, he's like the perfect example of a guy that, you know, the reason he wasn't playing was because he didn't know the assignments. (laughs) You know why it didn't matter? Because he had as much natural football instinct and IQ once the ball was snapped that you're ever going to see at the linebacker position. I mean, he would be totally out of position, but he would just see the ball, and he went and got the ball at a speed and just acceleration that uh, was remarkable. And his film, you just go watch his highlights. They're just like, man. like Sometimes like I personally like, just forget how good he was. I mean, I remember plays like that or series like that, but like Game in, game out. He was making wow plays, chasing down running backs from the other side of the field, being in coverage against wide receivers, stuff on the run against fullbacks. I mean, he literally did it all, and he is making the case as one of. I mean, you can make a case that he's one of the greatest linebackers Nebraska's ever had.
1: No, no question. I mean, he broke the his two-year tackle numbers. I believe the greatest two-year number of any player. Um, he has a single season record already. I think at Nebraska, you think about that 2011 defense. Nebraska had, in t- terms of Big Ten awards, the best defensive lineman, the Craig. best linebacker, and the best corner in the Big Ten that year on one defense.
3: And just imagine if Levante and Sue would have lined yep. up at Nebraska. I mean, I know they were they missed each other by different one career paths, but man, but that, I mean,
4: that would have been ridiculous. Ooh, yeah, I, I can't imagine what what that defense would have looked like had Sue been. You know, he would have taken Philip.
1: Would he have taken Philip Dillard's spot or would they have figured out a way to like because you had Gomes and Haig and Dillard kind of playing the hybrid linebackers in that well, dime Dillard system. was in the
3: doghouse for like yeah. two years. Till Virginia Tech.
1: Yeah. And then, then he, he t- once they realized they needed him. Yeah.
3: Then he became a fourth round draft pick.
1: He completely <laughs> shut down DeMarco Murray. I remember in that game in Lincoln, like yeah. on multiple
3: checkdowns, like he just freaking stuffed DeMarco Murray yeah. So I mean that's just fun to look back on the I mean those are the guys that you look to if you're Nebraska I mean those are the guys that you're selling your program around and to have them both on the same team playing in a Super Bowl against the Chiefs that's a pretty cool deal for Nebraska.
1: Nate Shaquille Barrett the Boytown product that was at University of Nebraska Omaha, um, do you, was there anything at all? Because I do recall like stories about Pat Burns calling like Jamrog and some of the people to try to get him to Nebraska. But they obviously didn't have a scholarship, or I mean, did they ever try to get him here?
4: I, no, I mean there was not like a serious effort um, to ever. And they could
1: have easily, you know, obviously, yeah. Had
4: him. I mean, that, yeah, that that, and it should have happened. I mean, there's there's no reason why he should have had to, you know, after playing a year. Well, first of all, out of high school. I mean, he probably, he probably should have ended up somewhere better than UNO, um, you know, for starters. But after after UNO shut down their football program, um, yeah, I, there's no reason why he should have had to have go to, uh, to Colorado State. Uh, he should have been – probably should have been in Nebraska.
1: Recruiting it's, Boys Town difficult, though, yeah, just is. because the kids come in and out um, for only a, sometimes 18 months – And it's not like a normal high school where you just go in there and I mean, there's this more They're there for a reason. Well, no, you have to be a well-behaved student to be there. But kids at Boys Town don't typically have cell phones Mm -hmm. like you can't communicate. They're not on social media. Um, Some of the I think there's stricter rules on, you know, what they have to do when they're in the in the school there. So. There there are some guys from Boys Town that fall through
3: the cracks just because very few people really get to see them. Yeah, I mean, Teddy Allen right now at Nebraska was at Boys Town, and he was a kid that was you know on the brink of his life falling apart, and that structure saved his life. So, I mean, like I said, uh, he was kind of regarded as an in-state recruit, but, I mean, he wasn't from Nebraska. He wasn't a Nebraska guy. But because of how Boys Town changed his life, he kind of saw himself – as a Nebraskan, and that led to his eventual return to the Huskers.
4: Yeah, it, with Shaquille Barrett, I mean that that might be the more interesting storyline as far as Nebraska connections to the to the Super Bowl. Even though he's not originally from Nebraska, but um, I mean, how how a guy like that. Well, you know, played his high school football in the state, and even started his college career in the state, and and uh, you know didn't, but actually didn't play for the Huskers is is kind of interesting. Well, and
1: they thought Jason Pierre-Paul was going to sign. Well, he like, was
4: he was I mean. a silent commit, and then there was a, a last second flip to South Florida, and a last ditch effort made to get him back to Nebraska. Um, and I'm not going to say there was something shady that happened at South Florida, but it was very very strange, especially. That year, when I mean, you had literally everybody from Fort Scott was was coming to uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. I mean, Hardwick, all, all, of, Kenny, yeah, all of his teammates. I mean, they were all wrapped up. It was it was a done deal. And then at the last second, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul was going to South Florida and
1: in the Big East. They weren't even. I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Jim Leavitt was doing good things there for that little run, though.
4: Yeah, and again, I'm not. I'm not gonna say for sure there was something shady that happened, but the the way that it all transpired was
3: flips like that usually just don't yeah, happen out of nowhere. Yeah, no I mean it was <laughs> it was very very was Willie
1: Taggart at South Florida
3: back then.
1: No.
4: I don't I don't think so. i was just kind of joking, yeah,
1: but but yeah, slick Willie probably. <laughs> <laughs> all right, when we come back. Nebraska basketball is going to play a game on Saturday.
3: Man, I forgot how to write a basketball Robin. story. I'm gonna have to dust <laughs> some old ones off to remember, you know, where what the three pointer is. And
1: you you've know. exhausted all your PTO, and yeah. you you got to get back to work. So it was,
3: a, it was a nice run of, you know, really just kind of sitting back and, and not doing a whole lot. But now the grind begins. February is going to be real.
1: All right, well, we're gonna come back. We'll discuss Nebraska basketball. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We communicated with the Big Ten throughout this whole
5: process, and that that was an important part of it. Uh, It's going to be hard, you know, as we continue to schedule these games. It's good that we have, I believe, the next four scheduled now. Michigan State, um, Minnesota, come back for Wisconsin and at Penn State, and all those game times now have um, uh, you know we're all set with those you know after that we have a tentative schedule after talking to the Big Ten but nothing set in stone right now Uh, but as far as as talking about shutting down no that never came up you know the good thing now with it having gone through our entire team I think we only have one or two now that haven't had it uh, we should be able to play all the way through the end of the season you know obviously barring a shutdown by our opponent but uh you know again when you look back at it uh you know those teams that this thing hit in the off season which was the majority of them you know they're going through this thing without a hitch right now but unfortunately it hit us you know at a tough time a bad time but you know our guys are excited to get back on the floor and compete
1: and welcome back here to the husker online show that's right we'll finally get to see nebraska basketball play a game on saturday against michigan state um, coincidentally, that was one of Nebraska's last games they played. They played Indiana on January 2nd, and they'll get um, round two of the Spartans on January 2nd. Uh, the, round one was January 2nd. So uh, bringing in Robin Washett, Robin, what do you make of this last month? And, and kind of what is your expectation now moving forward as they start to try to puzzle a schedule together?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was as big of a disaster as we've seen, really, (laughs) nationally. I mean, there's a handful of teams that have had, uh, you know, relatively equal uh, layoffs and pauses. I mean, Oregon's paused twice already. You know, Villanova went uh, several weeks. Penn State missed four straight games. But uh, for... An entire team topped about fifteen of their thirty tier one personnel tested positive in a span of two weeks. And so, I mean, just the way that it just ravaged their entire program in such a short amount of time, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's many other teams that have were hit the way Nebraska was hit. And you know, like Fred mentioned in the open, it couldn't have come at a, a much worse time because it just so happened that the last game they played against Indiana, you know that that stretch where they erased a eighteen point deficit, was as good of a, as they've played all season long, and they just got Derek Walker back for the first time all season. Things were finally starting to, to look good. And then, of course, they, from there on, they take a 28-day break, including uh, you know three straight weeks of total team-paused activities uh, to where they are finally able to get back to practice this week. So it's a major setback in a lot of different ways. Physically, I mean, these guys, at least all of them, uh, that tested positive had to take 10 full days off in isolation, didn't do anything. The most they could do was, like, body weight workouts in their hotel room uh, while they were in quarantine. And um, and then whatever lingering effects they may be ex- experiencing because of the virus. I mean, that's nobody knows how, how much of an issue that's going to be. And then just getting back into form, you know, there's going to be a lot of rust to knock off, knock off out of the gates. And uh, these next few games back uh, starting on Saturday are probably going to be uh, more rough, uh, more rough than not.
1: Yeah. Looking at how they've at least pieced together the first four games returning, they're just going to play a game every three days. And, and that to me is probably how they try to get all these games made up. It's going to be game travel game or whatever the yeah. travel is going to be. And you can get, Instead of two games in seven days, they're going to play three games in seven days.
3: Well, you probably see more than that too, because uh, I think there's a really good likelihood of some back-to-back games being played where different opponents or same opponent, same opponent, opponent? in uh, one location. So five of Nebraska's six postponed games were against double-play opponents, and so in theory, uh, you know, Nebraska. One of the games was Penn State. When they go to Penn State, to stay out there, they could play back-to-back. I mean, it's just a matter of kind of uh, what other schedules look like, and just you know, you also got to look into the <laughs> just the well-being of the team playing that that many games but i, I know that fred's mentioned that as a, a real possibility uh, to try and even further expedite um uh, getting 15 games in a span of 31 32 days before the big 10 tournament and they will not be moving that conference tournament that is uh, steadfast playing uh starting on march 10th and so march 9th is the very last day that you can play a regular season game and you know, Nebraska's obviously getting back to work, but you see other schools. Michigan's already postponed a handful of games uh, with, with their situation. And uh, I mean, to, to think that 14 teams are going to try to get through, uh, you know, it's beyond just what Nebraska does, but all their opponents as well. It would not surprise me one bit if some of these games don't get canceled outright when all is said and done.
1: Yeah, and, and we saw it with volleyball this weekend. Uh, Northwestern popped a positive in Lincoln on Friday in the afternoon before the match on Friday night, canceled the whole weekend series, uh-huh. one positive test. So um, it, it's it's interesting just the different protocols, Robin, for sports because one positive test in football, you know, William Pristip, the punter, we assume he was a positive test because – Um, He didn't travel to Rutgers after punting the week before, I believe, or whenever it was for Nebraska, and they still played. So, you know, just just the way it is with other sports where you get one and you shut her down, um, it just seems like the rule book or how it's done for – basketball or volleyball is different than what football maybe did earlier this year.
3: Yeah, and I know there's, um, you know, obviously there's just a smaller schedule, less breaks in between. And the
1: players are around each other more in basketball.
3: Exactly. And so, I mean, you're you're constantly around one group of guys where, you know, with football, you isolate a little bit more by position, by side of the ball, uh, that sort of stuff. With these guys, I mean, they're on the court, you know, full contact uh, with each other in the locker room. They're in the players' lounge. They're in the film room. They're going to class. They're living with each other, Uh, and so I mean, that's how this thing was able to spread as quickly as it was. And you know, the question that I have going back to the schedule is, you know, not only are they going to try to jam pack these games in, um, but like, at what extent are they going to force the issue to have these games played? You know, you look at the ACC right now. Boston College earlier this week had to play a game with four scholarship players because they had an outbreak and the ACC was insisting that that game be played. And was the Big Ten going to do the same thing to where – you know if if you could at least fill field five players scholarship or walk on are you going to be forced to play those games or is it nebraska be, would be or is it going to be more up to the discretion of the program and um you know i know fred said there was never a discussion about shutting down the season you know when they were going through their outbreak but you know you got to really wonder just what price is the league going to be willing to play or pay to play these remaining games, uh, just to get them all to in to get eleven bids essentially. Yeah, essentially. I mean, and especially when it comes down to a 10 team or like 11. Nebraska. I mean, uh, how much of a voice are they going to have to say uh, as far as whether they play or not?
1: You will take your, <laughs> you will take your loss, Nebraska. Kiss the ring. But they you know, and it's interesting. Like Coach Jeschke from Duke, if they don't make the tournament, which they're probably not right now. You know, it's just going to you know, there's just so many different voices of of this basketball season and what it means when Duke yeah. and North Carolina and Kentucky are having really bad seasons. And Kansas is kind of falling back where older, more traditional college built roster teams are having the better seasons.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, just the kind of disruption of preparation that we had this off season with. You know, a lot of guys not being able to get to campus and uh, all the other hurdles they have to go through. It takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of focus. That naturally comes with older, veteran teams, which is you know why the the Gonzagas and old
1: Iowa yeah, teams the and Iowa, old Wisconsin, Wisconsin teams. Those
3: you know, senior-heavy teams are able to handle this thing a lot better than a bunch of freshmen that are doing this for the first time. one and dunners. exactly. That- you know,
1: would rather be done.
3: Yeah, what's funny is like, you know, you hear Coach K come out and talk about like, we shouldn't even be playing this season. Yeah, because your team sucks. I mean, if you were undefeated right now, if you were Gonzaga, you would be saying, we did the right thing. This is, you know, full steam ahead. Let's go. So it's it's all in the eye of the eye of the beholder. They
1: only have two quality wins right now, I believe, Duke. I mean, as far as like what what would be even considered resume wins, and they're not even like great resume wins, and they canceled all of their – guarantee wins yep. around christmas
3: yeah i mean it just goes to show that you know the one we can see a whole other segment the one and done uh, gamble is a uh, very double-edged sword it's not covid proof yeah i mean especially if you don't hit on the right guys if you're not getting the lottery picks that are no-brainers and you have to win with guys that you know, high school Aren't kids. at that level, you know, then then you uh, you realize the price you're paying by going that route.
1: Where then Iowa is the complete opposite. They have a bunch of like 20, I mean, what was the stat? Like Iowa and Wisconsin have like older rosters and some NBA teams yeah, right the,
3: now. The Bulls, I know the Wisconsin starting five is older than the Bulls by average. So, <laughs> so and that's why they're good. I mean, that's why they're as, as playing as well as they are. And, you know, Gonzaga's the same way that, you know, they have some talented freshmen, but they're a veteran team that, you know, knows what to do. And that, in a season like this more than ever, that is as valuable as anything
1: well Robin we're gonna have a lot of basketball to talk to you about yes, next we week as Nebraska basketball play a game every three days starting Saturday so we know their first four games back and then it's going to be kind of a flex schedule where um, we'll see where they go they did get picked up for ESPN2 by, by the way Robin that, that's like one of the rare times Nebraska cracks into a non BTN game,
3: yeah, and I think that's a what a four o'clock tip or something. Four, the four o'clock game, <laughs> so the Thursday Thursday four o'clock tip. So, yeah, prime prime window right there for your national broadcast.
1: It's very dad friendly. <laughs> yeah. so you, you can oh, I love it. Be I mean, home I, and
3: if they could play all their games in like the early afternoon, that'd be fantastic. All
1: right, when we come back, we'll close the show uh, with some more recruiting thoughts from Nate
0: Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. <laughs> listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: I'm kind of pleased with how how it's all going to work out this year. It gives us a chance to get spring ball done in one swing rather than having spring break in the middle of it. I think a May 1st spring game, with our fingers crossed that fans can be there, gives us a better chance of of having a great day for that. And we try not to push the kids, so we go three practices a week and and having five straight weeks of that, I think, uh, sets up well for us to make the improvements we need.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Final segment of this post February signing day show is Huskers are in the midst of winter conditioning. They'll go into spring ball late March, the final week of March, for five weeks before a May 1 red white spring game. And Nate Klaus, as we talk some recruiting, we kind of got a clue last week that possibly the NCAA could go into a quiet period on April 16th. Um, you know, and Frost even mentioned maybe April 1st. Like nobody really knows. Um, if coaches are going to go on the road. Um, but I do feel pretty good about the chances of a quiet period, and it could really benefit Nebraska um, if they could have visitors on campus for three Saturdays of spring practice.
4: Yeah, that, that could potentially be a very, very big deal, especially when you consider that Nebraska hasn't had any recruit on campus since um, – March. Yeah, or that first – I think it's that first weekend of March – uh, when you had you had a handful of guys come in for that very first practice uh, of the spring, and so uh, it's been a long time. And if they could somehow you know maximize the uh, you know at least three weekends of. Of spring football, that would be a big deal. But um, you know, and it, for you know, for people wondering exactly what a quiet period is, it basically means that a prospect can visit campus. Um, you know, and and uh, not an official visit necessarily, but a prospect can be on campus and and uh, you know take part in an unofficial visit. So uh, that would, I mean, I think everyone's keeping their fingers crossed that that you know that's able to happen, whether it be on April first or you know April fifteenth. Once uh you know once the the tip Typical spring evaluation period starts or, or whatever the case. But, um, you know, hopefully we get back to normal, and, and this is somewhat of a, of a normal recruiting cycle, unlike uh, the 2021 class.
1: Yeah, and you have kids that want to go places. They can't go anywhere. And we kind of benefited off that at Husker Online this past weekend, and we're going to do it again on Sunday. We held uh, our in-state tour event. I, I compare it, Nate, to almost like a junior day, mm-hmm. um, old-school old um, like Edgy Tim joked to me on the on the text this week, he goes, "Junior days are, are coming back in style, like old suits again." I mean, there's you know kids want to go places and, and have people write about them and talk about them in the recruiting process. Um, and, and this is you know we we hosted an event in Lincoln at First Pick, and we've got one at Warren Academy this week. We're 29 different teams in Nebraska and their top prospects. Uh, we identified programs that we knew had Division One level kids and invited them to come. Uh, to these events um, and I'll tell you what Nate I, I didn't know what to expect I was nervous putting all this together with a number of teams coming in and out uh, but I was very impressed um, with just some of the new names that we uncovered in the state of Nebraska that we did not know about before Sunday
4: yeah well first of all I'm, I'm not surprised by the turnout I think everybody's hungry to be able to do something and and to hopefully try and kickstart their recruitment because the, the recruiting cycle is you know slower it's starting slower this year than than normal uh be, and mostly because coaches haven't been able to get out on the road whether it be during the season um and, and certainly during the month of january when when you typically would have at least three weekends or, or three weeks where coaches would be out on the road and, and you know in and out of high schools and and kind of taking a look at that next cycle or two of recruits coming up and well that has not happened so um, you know I was I was uh, happy to see all the guys and that were coming out to, to the event that we put on in Lincoln and and uh, like you said it was really impressed with some of the guys that we were able to to uncover or, or at least find a little out a little bit more about um, you know I think that uh, um, you know some of them we knew. A little bit about like Ben Bramer, uh, the, the 2023 tight end out of Pierce. Um, you know, I'd been able to see him at the, the Warren Academy Showcase over the summer where he really impressed. Uh, But we're able to get you know um, get to know him a little bit better and and get an official height and weight and everything on him and and he's gotten even bigger. Uh, But you know to to find out about guys like Victor Easley, um, you know at at, uh, Grand Island Northwest, where he was been on nobody's radar. Twenty three, yeah, twenty twenty three. Uh, played defensive end for Grand Island Northwest last year, but is more than likely a you know a linebacker, uh, maybe inside or outside. But you know he's six three, two hundred pounds, and uh, he just put up incredible numbers as a sophomore. And, and literally, uh, you know, not on the radar whatsoever. And so I mean, he's he's somebody who's extremely intriguing. Um, you know, one of one of many that we were able to talk to.
1: You know, Nate, um, one guy that wasn't able to make it because he had a conflict was Ernest Hausman from Columbus. And, man, talk about a week. It's been a while, Nate, since a non-Omaha area, Lincoln area kid has gotten the kind of attention. Ernest Hausman just picked up an Iowa offer on Thursday. Michigan offered him. He got three Power Five offers this week on Wednesday. Now, Nebraska was his first offer. Um, So they were on him right away. But Arizona State, Boston College, Kansas State, Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, Virginia – Uh, I do think Northwestern's very close to offering him as well, Um, but he's sitting now with 10 Power 5 offers as a guy that very few people knew about in the state of Nebraska until later in the year.
4: Yeah, I mean, really, a lot of people didn't, I mean, he wasn't really even on the radar uh, for most until Nebraska offered him. I remember, I remember the night that, that he got that Nebraska offer, and, and most of the people on Husker Online were like, "Who? who? Yeah, like who? Who's this guy?" And and um, you know, and, and I'm really, really eager to to be able to see him in person. Um, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Um, you know and for sure be able to watch him play but um, you know you talk about you talk about a kid who has just seen things blow up and and that's that's what happens i mean sometimes it takes a long time to get that first offer but once it comes um, you know, that, that snowball, everything else snowballs from there. And so, um, you know, and, and that's one of the more intriguing things, I think, about the the where the in-state talent is right now. It seems like each year here over the last two or three years kind of gets taken up a notch. And, and um, you know, I, I think that's a good problem for the coaching staff to have, but it's also – um, creates a lot more competition. And, and so, I mean, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to keep those guys uh, in state. And probably I would say that Scott Frost and his coaching staff probably have you know, their work cut out for him more so than any coaching staff in recent history at, at Nebraska.
1: Well, some of these other power fives in the region see blood in the water. Yeah. And, and they're striking. I mean, the four – I call them the big four out of Omaha – it's going to be tough to get any of those guys. I mean, Deshaun Woods, Devin Jackson, Caden Helms, and Mike O'Reilly. I mean, that, that's the big four. Mm-hmm. And then you got Jake Applegate and um, Lincoln. He hasn't gotten a Nebraska offer yet, but I think he's close. Ernest Hausman in Columbus. And, and there's going to be a few more names that emerge in 2022 um, that, that get more offers. So they do have their work cut out for them because – Right now, of the top six, you know, if they get three of the six, that would be probably considered a victory. And and I think most of us realistically know they're not going to get those all those Omaha guys, if any of them, right
4: now. Yeah, I mean, I would be very very surprised if they got all those guys. Um,
1: I think one would be a win today. Yeah, yeah, I mean, based I, on what we know today, yeah. if they got one of the four, that's probably a win.
4: Yeah. That yeah, that would definitely be a win. And uh, you know, and out of those four, I would say they're probably sitting the best with Caden Helms. Um, or Deshaun Woods, probably, probably a toss-up between one of those two. But, you know, when you've got Miami coming in and offering Devon Jackson out of Omaha-Burke, I mean, that just doesn't happen very often. You know, Mi- Miami can throw a rock uh, from from their campus and, and uh, you know, and, and hit hit a school that's got you know, 10, 10 D1 guys, um, you know. So for them to need to leave South Florida and come to Omaha – um, you know, tells you that they feel a they there's some talent here, and B they feel confident that hey, we're not going to waste our time. We've got a we feel like we got a good shot at possibly getting this kid to uh, to leave the state of Nebraska and go to Miami.
1: Well, and a lot of that too, Nate. Do you think it's they all right? We'll put a line in the water, and if he comes down and visits, and we like him in person, then we'll push for a commit. I mean, is it a way to get some of these kids to visit these places too?
4: Oh yeah, for sure. I think that's. No, and that's where recruiting is at. That's kind of how it has evolved um, here over the last probably five years or or maybe even closer to ten years now is, you know, teams are are going to throw it. You almost have to throw that offer out there um, to show that you're serious before you can even really start to get to know a player. Um, You know, a lot of times – you know it depends on the player but for a guy like Devon Jackson who has double digit power five offers now well you know what is going to get his attention well to, to kind of start that relationship building process well more than likely it's going to have to be an offer and um, you know and then you go from there and try and get him on campus and and uh, you know if you like if you like where things are going and, and you you like what what he's all about then you start pushing harder for a commitment but that's just kind of the way that recruiting has has been trending here lately
1: we'll, we'll have more coverage of local talent as our second in-state tour event is on sunday in omaha we have 15 teams coming through uh, with the top prospects so uh, make sure you're logged on to husker online as well plenty of content over sunday and monday uh, from that event
0: thanks again for joining us this week on husker online your authority on nebraska athletics